just ask you to be with us as we open your word and, and guide and lead us as we look at what you'd have us to, to see. And Lord, you know what's going on with all the people and with all the sicknesses. We ask you just to continue to touch Loretta and Johnny and, and Shauna and help them, help them get better. And, and we just thank you for your love and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, today we're going to look at the call that we're called and made ambassadors for Christ. And we've talked a few times about the idea of being an ambassador, but this is going to be specifically about it. And we just uh, want to think about what is an ambassador. Uh, so I'm going to throw that out. What is an ambassador? A representative of a country or a, or a view. A representative of a country or a person, some kind of authority. And the, the, dif the dictionary definition is simply the highest representative sent by one government or ruler to another who speaks and acts on the behalf of his government. Okay? And so this is what we, as we look at being an ambassador for Christ, we speak and act on the behalf of Christ. And this is why we should live a lifestyle that shows that we're different. We are from a different kingdom. We're of a different world. Uh, when we get ready to do VBS, that's the whole theme of VBS this, on this one is the two kingdoms and the armor of God and being, being that we represent God's kingdom and not the world's kingdom. And very, we talk a lot about that. So it's a good, it's a good topic that I got this uh, material because it's a really important topic to realize that we are from a different world, basically. A uh, different way of thinking, different way of acting, just as we were talking about the movies. You know, the, the world gets upset at Christian movies because the Christian worldview is in their face and it's so different from what they, what, what they believe that it you know, smacks them upside the head. Whereas the same thing for us as Christians, we should have that same thing when we watch the world's movie. We should be, see that we're being bombarded with a way of thinking that's not the way we're supposed to be thinking. And so this is important for us. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to start at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who, hath, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, even through, even though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead that you recon, that be you reconciled to God. All right, so we want to look at this. Uh, verse 17, you know, it's a statement of we are a new creation. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We are a new creation. Uh, that God takes our old, destroys it, gives us a brand new way of thinking and doing things. And then we go into verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus, and hath given unto us the, recon the ministry of reconciliation. And think about this. And all things are of God. This should really affect the way we think about things. All things, not partially, not some things, not only the good things, but all things are of God which takes us into you know, Romans 8, 20, uh, 28. Uh, there hath no, uh, 
All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. All things are of God. When we think the whole world is against us and everything's going bad, <laughs> it's still of God because he's got a use for it. And this is important for us to grab hold of. And, and when we can grab hold of this, when we're in the middle of the hardest trials that we can find and have, we can have confidence because God is in control. And it's, is it easy to do? Absolutely not. <laughs> the more we believe it, the easier it gets. For me, when I'm in the middle of a trial, somebody coming up with Romans 8, 28, I'm going to say, yes, I know, God's in control and it's for good. I will not use that to try to comfort somebody unless I absolutely know that they believe that verse going into it because quoting a verse when somebody didn't believe it in the first place is not going to help them. Job's friends did that to him. They quoted him all kinds of verses and, and axioms that were true axioms, but they weren't of any comfort to him because they, they weren't really true in that situation. And it's the same thing when God says precious in the sight is, is the death of his saints. To say to somebody when they just lost somebody important and they don't believe that verse strongly, you know, hey, it's precious that God, you know, God says it's precious in his sight. That's not going to make them feel any better. <laughs> they're already hurting, they're upset, they're probably possibly even mad at God, and then you say, well, God, God thinks it's great that they're, they're home with him. That doesn't help the person who doesn't, who's struggling at that time. Uh, for somebody who truly believes it, that's what they're grabbing hold of, it works. <laughs> But if you don't believe, if you don't believe God's truth in something, and 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 you and you find yourself in the middle of it, reading that verse or having that verse quoted to you is not going to be a big help, because uh, you're already struggling. If you believed it going in, you may still struggle, but at least you have that verse to hold on to and say, "Okay, God, I don't understand this, but you, this is your promise." And this is why it's important for us to really get into His Word, understand His Word, understand and have it in our mind. Uh, you know, and I really want to encourage, and probably next year we're going to encourage reading, memorizing verses a lot more. Because people need to get God's word. It says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And his word in our heart, in our minds, in our life, is what keeps us in the middle of trials. When we're having a hard time, it's his word that comes out and supports us. And it helps us to meditate. When you're meditating on his word, you have to have some form of memorization going on whether it's you know I had a friend who, who memorized a lot of scripture and how he memorized it was that he would read it in the morning and he'd meditate on that verse all day long he'd just think about that verse and by the end of the day he thought about it so much that he had it memorized you know it was just he ran it through his through his through his, his brain when I study on, on certain things and I've studied for hours you know on, on a verse I'll get to the time when it's time to teach it and at least for that week, it's there. It's, it's, you know, it's on the forefront of my memory. Why? Because I've thought about it. I've meditated on it. I've considered how to apply it. Uh, I've already started reading the, the verses in Galatians for Sunday morning you know, because I want them to start you know, percolating. And, and, and I think about them. I read them three or four times in the week. Then toward the end of the week, I start studying them and tearing them apart and trying to figure out exactly what we're going to teach in those. And I do that for each one of my things. I try to read ahead a little bit so that my mind is starting to play with that information and meditate on it. But it says that God, uh, that all things are of Christ, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. 
reconciliation, the idea of trading something for something of another value. And look at what God traded, traded here. Who has reconciled us, us lousy, stinking sinners, <laughs> to himself through Christ Jesus. What a deal for us. <laughs> Doesn't sound like much of a deal for, to me for God. Now, obviously he's getting something out of this deal where he wouldn't, wouldn't want to do it. But to me, when I look at it from this side of things, it's not, not a very great deal. You know, all of us lousy sinners, his enemies, he reconciled to himself and just said, okay, I'm swapping. I'm swapping my righteousness for you. That's an amazing thought to me. An amazing thought that God loved us enough to do this, cared enough about it to do this for us. Swapping us for him. And that is hard to, hard to understand, hard to fathom. Uh, I've said it before, I, I don't even understand why God even created man knowing that man was going to sin and knowing that he was going to have to redeem man and that he would only get a small portion of the men that, were, that lived. Okay, because it says, the, the narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. He also said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And name off all these good things, good works that they did, and he's going to say, depart, I never knew you. So when it comes down to it, it's a very small portion of mankind, a, a remnant that come to him, and yet he created man and, and set, apart, set out to redeem man. To me, that is just a mind-boggling thought and, you know, how much he loves us. And he says, not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Imputing means to count, to reckon, to, to balance. He does not impute our transgressions unto us because we're in Christ. He is, we talked about justification. He has declared us as being perfect and righteous. And when he looks at us, he sees his son and he doesn't impute our righteous, our transgressions to us. And that is good because we don't want our transgressions, our trespasses. And, and trespasses are literally sins committed through ignorance or thoughtlessness. Okay, things I do because I'm not thinking. And we do lots of sins that way, don't we? Yes. Lots of things where all of a sudden we realize, did I just say that? Did I just do that? Did I just, you know, do that? And we didn't even think about it. We didn't do it on purpose. In, in reality, we just weren't thinking. And he doesn't impute those to us. He doesn't, those are, those are fully covered. And he's saying, I know, and I know how evil you can be. And most of us as Christians aren't trying to on purpose sin, usually. <laughs> Those are the sins that kind of we really get up, um, up, upset at ourselves is when we do something, we know we did it on purpose. The things we do kind of without thinking, you know, those are the things when we're talking to somebody and we find ourselves basically gossiping or saying bad things about people or saying negative things about people and all of a sudden we realize, well, how did I get, how did I get into this conversation? How did I get here? And God says, I'm not going to do that. And he's committed to us the ministry or the word of reconciliation. We're to reconcile people to God. That is our whole job on earth as Christians, and to, to talk to people about God, bring them to God. If he didn't need us here, he'd have just, the moment we got saved, he would have taken us to heaven. 
I don't know how the next person would have gotten saved, but God could have managed that too. He could use angels to, to, to preach. In Revelation, it talks about an angel going back and forth across the, across the heavens, you know, preaching the gospel. God could do that today if he wanted to, but he's got it at the end times. And we've, we've got this situation where God can do whatever he wants. He, and Jesus said, you know, when they told him, you know, command these people to quit, quit cheering, he goes, if they be silent, the rocks will, will cry out. You know, God can, God can use the rocks and the trees to speak if he wanted to. You know, because of that's who he is. He can do what he wants. He can create them to do that. But our job is the word of reconciliation. We're to bring people to God and, and encourage. Verse 20, now we are ambassadors. We'll get to, yeah. Now we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us we pray you in Christ's stead that ye be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. This is an important aspect. In the, in, the, in the Greek, ambassador means somebody who's older, mature. And, and an ambassador is almost always somebody who's older. Even in today's world, they're somebody who's older. They're not going to make childish mistakes. You know, they're not going to make the, the silly mistakes that young adults even people in their 20s, you know, 20s start doing just because they don't think. They want, ambassadors are usually somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s, people who have gotten over all the silliness, who are used to thinking, who are used to, to doing things in a mature way. And he says, you, you, we are his ambassadors. When we're in a situation, we are supposed to show them how somebody in God's kingdom thinks. And this is what, you know, we, we've done the Truth Project here before, and I think I'm going to do it again because it's been so long since we've done it. The Truth Project, learning how to think the way God wants us to think, as opposed to the lies of Satan. And it's pretty easy. God has one set of rules, and Satan has hundreds to thousands of different rules. God has marriage, a husband and a wife. The world is trying to trans, you know, change marriage into just about anything. Just about anything, you know, makes a family, makes a marriage. And their, their whole idea now is, you know, family isn't a husband and a wife and, and children. It's now me and my friends and, you know, can be a family, you know. Uh, you know, and they're now trying to get marriage changed. But, you know, I've seen a lot of people go, well, you know, family is just whatever you want it to be. You know, uh, I live with all my friends and they're my family. Well. In one sense, I understand what they mean, and I kind of agree to one degree, but you cannot redefine family and say it's whatever I want it to be. Uh, it is what it is. And the problem that we're having in today's world is all these words that used to mean something are being changed. And for anybody who's read the book uh, 1984, you were seeing that that was all of what it was about, change all the meanings of words. Uh, have this group thing, have the, you know, we call it PC, we, you know, and, and we're seeing words change dramatically. Uh, things like tolerance. Christians have gone from being the most tolerant people because we said you have the right to believe what you want even though, you know, even though it's wrong, you, can, you have the right to believe that. And we were considered the most tolerant. Nowadays we're considered the most intolerant because we won't accept that somebody else's way has equal weight as ours because we're based upon God's word. And so we're becoming very intolerant, which means the world is beginning to hate us even more because 
of the intolerance that we have, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that a family is a, a mother, father, and their children, that, you know, that marriage is a man and a woman, you know, and, and no other one man, you know, is, is a, fam a family or a marriage. And the world says, well, you guys are just intolerant. And I used to love it when I was in college and people in the 90s when people would say, well, you're very intolerant. I go, yes, I am. Thank you. You know, because being intolerant is supposed to be the worst thing you can do in this, in this age. If you're intolerant, that's terrible. It's, it's absolutely the worst thing that can happen. And when, you, when I agreed with them that I was intolerant because I understood what they meant, I, it really blew them away because it, you're not supposed to, you know, it was supposed to be a really bad insult. I kind of thought back to when Christians were first called Christians. And it was supposed to be an insult. They were saying, you guys are nothing but Christ followers. And the church embraced it, saying, we like this term. So we went from being an insult into, this is what we want to call ourselves. And it's, it's fun sometimes to be able to play these games with people and say, you know, I'm not going to be bothered by the world. I'm not going to fall into the PC conversation with people. If they're going to be mad at me because I don't agree with them, then it is what it is. Because I'm going to stand on God's word. And if whatever that means. And there will come a time and day when we probably will be killed or imprisoned or all the things that happened to poor Paul. You know, Paul was always in prison or, or being chased out of town or stoned or whatever because he stood for God. And we forget what the first century church was like. The first century church was one where if you didn't speak right, and you had two, if you were in Jerusalem, you had the problems with the Jews. When you were outside of Jerusalem, you had the problems with the Romans. The Jews hated it because you, you, you were leaving their narrow beliefs of God and grabbing hold of Jesus and, the, and, and grace and mercy. The Romans hated you because they were multiple gods and you said there was only one. You know, so no matter who you talked to, you were going to offend somebody. We're in that same place in this day and age where we've got our world going into this pagan, pagan ideas and multiple gods and multiple religions. And then we've got the Christian world going off into this really strange, you know, uh, ecclesiastical thing where all different people are right and whatever you believe is okay. And they're leaving the word of God. And so we're, we're back to the place where we were in the first century. We're kind of caught between the two. The organized religions that are setting you a bunch of rules and just anything goes to the world who has its own non-religious non way. So we're, in a, we're, we're headed into a time of trouble, a time of hardship, and yet an exciting time because God is going to do something. God is going to do something. And he said, he told us already that they're going to hate you, they're going to, they're going to kill you, and we saw it in the first century. We've actually seen it in every century. Every century has had places in this world where it was dangerous to be a Christian. And even in today's world, there are more people being martyred for Christ today than, than in any time during the Middle Ages and, and early church. In many places in Africa, there's Christian villages that get wiped out overnight because they're Christian. They just come in with a gunship, blow them all, you know, blow down the whole town, and and don't even worry about it. You've got ISIS in the Middle East that is going into towns just like Muhammad and his and his followers did, you know, convert or die, and they're beheading people. They're trying to rebuild the Ottoman Empire, the the whole the whole Islamic world mentality, and 
and trying to help bring in the, the end, end days because of what they're in. But it's an exciting time to be a Christian because it is, we're watching God do just what he said would be here. And if we're not at the end times yet, we're very close. And we're closer today than we were yesterday. <laughs> uh, so if anybody tells you that, you know, that you know, it's been said for years, they're right, it has been said for years. When you read the book of Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel, you start seeing that we are very much in the end times and that everything can happen according to what it says. And we are as ambassadors. We are going to stand with a different world, a different light. People looking at us should say, this person's different. They think different. They act different. They may not understand why we're different, but they should say, this person is different. Now that that reaction to that difference can be interesting at times because usually there'll be rejection and, and pushing aside. And, but you know, at the same time, the, when they need help, the person those people come to is the one they've been pushing away because they see that you had answers. They may not have liked your answers, they may not have liked your peacefulness, but when they need answers, the one they go to are the Christians because they say, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but but I saw you go through whatever it is and you didn't fall apart. You didn't, you didn't get you know, mad and angry and, and all these other things that the world does. You didn't, want to, you didn't go out and commit try to commit suicide. And the world sees that. The world will see that. So we are as ambassadors for Christ, even as God did beseech you by us. So this, and we are ambassadors by the request of God. Beseech, that's a, that's a very strong word. It means to admonish, to exhort, to encourage. So God has encouraged us, exhorted us to be his ambassadors. And then it goes, and we pray you in Christ's stead, and that is not with your hands closed praying. This is we pray you, we, we entreat you. Okay, it would be this, because it's Old English. We, we entreat you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Be reconciled. Be transformed into, with him. And that is what we are called to do. Be reconciled unto God. And very strong thing because he's wanting us to be in him. When we are reconciled, that means to be made one. Go back to atonement. We are made one with him. He's exchanged, he's exchanged lives with us and made us one with him. And Paul in this place is multiple times Noah said, be reconciled. So I would say, you know, what is it, three, four times in there, be reconciled. I think Paul's trying to make a point. We're to be reconciled. We're to stay one with him. We are to realize that we are a new creation, that we are lined with him because he has done it. And I love this. I love it, and I've said it over and over. The greatest thing about being a Christian is God does all of it for us. Nothing that I do, I can't, I can't earn it myself. I can't earn, I can't earn his forgiveness. I can't earn his, my place in heaven. He is the one that does it. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, and all I've got to do is accept that. And then all these things we've been talking about for the last months, he does to us. He does the work. He changes us. He baptizes us. He, he ch makes us ambassadors. He declares us perfect. He, put, 
He puts Christ's righteousness on us. All these things that he does, and I get the benefit of. Or we get the benefit of, probably a better way to put it. We get the benefit of what Christ has done. And he became sin so that we could benefit. We could be reconciled with God. We could be able to come into his presence. And as we said on, on Sunday morning, we get to call him Abba Father. You know, very personal, Daddy. You know, the king of the universe gets to be drawn to our attention in an intimate way. We don't need to make a, an appointment with, to, with him to see him. We don't have to say, God, uh, on, the fifth, you know, on the fifth Thursday of next month, <laughs> I want an appointment with you. <laughs> he goes, no, I can come to him right this moment and talk to him. I don't have to get it put into a schedule. Tomorrow at noon, I get to meet with God. <laughs> You know, because I put it on his appointment book. You know, and think about it, if you had to put it on an appointment book with God, you know, with the billions of people trying to get his attention, you'd have to make your plan probably centuries in advance to be able to get to talk to him. But no, we have full access to him at all times. And that should be something that excites us. That should really excite us that we have an intimate God that wants to be with us. He wants to be just like he was with Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with them, because he loves them. And if you look at any other religion, there's not a great love for their deity to their people. Even in Judaism, there's, there's a hard, you know, we see his love shown to certain people, but to the average Jew, they never think of a loving God. They think of the mean, angry, vengeful God who, who sends punishment down, and they envy Joshua and, and Moses and David and, and Sam, Samuel and, and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who had a personal relationship with them. But there's not this buildup of a personal relationship. Now we know because we've seen it. We've read Psalms where David is really putting out there that God wants a personal relationship. He wants to love you. But the average Jew does not see God in that light. The, the, no Muslim sees their God as a loving God. Uh, if you're into the Hindu religion, you know, your, your main god is a god of war. Krishna. You know, Krishna, you know. And you've got other gods out of the millions of gods, but that's the main one, and it's an angry, vicious god. You know, so everybody out there has this, you know, idea that there's God. And, and then the sad thing is there's so many Christians that, or people who claim to be Christians who have this picture of, God's this big guy with a, you know, sitting up in heaven with a baseball bat or, or thunderbolts just waiting for you to do wrong so he can punish you. It's sad that the people have that view because that's not who God is. He gave his punishment to Jesus. All the punishment due to us fell on Jesus at the cross. And he's out there just saying, come to me. You've got to come to me through my son, but you've got, I want you to come to me. And then he's just wraps his arms around us and loves us. You know, he's not, all the vengeance, all the, all the anger fell on Jesus. And it's important for us to grab hold of that and be able to express that to others and share our story about how we came to Christ and how he loves us. We're going to turn to Ephesians 6.
starting at verse 19. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So here Paul is again saying that he is an ambassador. An ambassador, and this time he says in bonds, because he's in jail and when he's writing this letter to, to the Ephesians. And John, uh, Paul spent a lot of time in jail. Uh, he kept getting arrested everywhere he went because he spoke about one God and somebody, somebody would start a riot around him, whether it was the Jews starting a riot or the people of the town starting a riot. And in Ephesus it was the people of the town because he was preaching about one God and they saw that Athena was going to be losing the prominence and that meant the silversmiths would be losing their business because they made all these little idols to Athena. Uh, and so they started and say, you know, accusing him of being bad for business and stirring up trouble and got him arrested. Uh, so he's in jail because he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel and he says, I am an ambassador. Again, I am representing God. I am representing Jesus in this world. And again, he stood out and he made, and he made waves because he was different. Every one of the apostles except for John was martyred because they stood up and they represented Jesus. And they died in many horrible ways in most cases, but they died because they stood up for God. We have been blessed in America that we don't get totally you know, uh, criticized and, and martyred here in America. Times are changing. If you read any conservative thing, anything about a Christian, and then you read the comments underneath, man, they get, they get crazy down there. And those comments about Christians and how narrow-minded we are and how we are the the scum of the earth and causing problems and all these different things. You know, Christians are attacked all the time. You know, especially behind that cloak of secrecy they have, you know, when they're logged in with some name. But it's even getting bad out in the, in the world where people will get in your face about things. And I've been there, I've argued it, I've, I've, I've uh, defended creation since I was in high school, through college, had, had all the attacks that go along with that. But and gone out in street evangelism and had people come after me you know, and, and yell at me and criticize me. Because when you teach the gospel, it's hard. When you say there's one way to God, that makes people angry. Because the world wants to believe that there's lots of ways to God and that you know, I can do it my own way. And that fits because the flesh wants to do things its own way. So you, know, you say this is the way to God and, and the world's gonna say no, there's lots of ways. I, you know, all these religions are the same, is what they'll tell you. Well, unfortunately, no, they're not even close to all the same. They do have one characteristic in, in, in common is that all religion gives you a set of rules to follow. Now, what those rules are change vastly between the religions, but they're all do these things and you will, you will reach whatever it is that they're trying to reach, you, reach to. And that's why Christianity is so different because it comes up and says, if you want to do it your way, you're going to hell. You've got to do it God's way, and that's the Jesus, Jesus' sacrifice. Even we found 350 AD that they changed all the pagan holidays to Christian holidays, and <coughs> to make it easier for the pagan or the heathen there to, to transition. Transition to a Christian holiday, which is a pagan holiday, which we all know that if you really research it and read it and, and study it, that it was just an easy way out for the. Well, it made it easy for the civil government too. They didn't lose
was another holiday to, to religion. They just the tacked, Romans, yeah, the they just tacked it on to what was already there and said, okay, you guys can just celebrate whatever you want. So, yeah, it was it was a bunch of different things in there and like Easter, you know, uh, call it Resurrection Day, which is what it is. And yeah, and and it shouldn't be associated with the sol the, the solstice. It should be associated with Passover. So it's yeah. Oh yeah, that's why that's why I find some of the holidays very hard to celebrate because I know their roots. I know that we're not practicing the the, the roots that they were built into, but it still makes it hard for me because it's not right, it's not what it is, you know. It's, December isn't Christmas. Um, Jesus was born either in December or in April, by what by whatever because there's two key points you can look at. Well, if you really look into it, it's a big study, you know, how they. Yeah. Well, you can look for 400 A.D. was close to the demise of the Christian Christian relationship with God because it got secularized and brought into a religion and rules. Uh, it didn't destroy it, but it came real close. It d dumped us into the Dark Ages, and, and during the Dark Ages, there wasn't a whole lot of evangelism going on. There was enough to keep Christianity moving, but uh, it's also during the time when there was the greatest martyrdoms being uh, occurred and uh, the medieval Catholic priests uh, in, in, in inquest uh, were some of the meanest and nastiest <laughs> uh, tortures that could, were have ever been imagined. Uh, and it was a very sad time for, for the church and they tried to isolate the Bible and get rid of it and it didn't, but it was a hard time. Very hard time, and it started around 400 A.D., and uh, so it was very hard time. <laughs> but dark ages. Yeah, dark, dark ages because all just about all knowledge died because of where they were headed. So, and amazingly, some of some of most of the knowledge was saved by the Muslims. <laughs> they, they actually saved more knowledge than destroyed at that time. And now with ISIS coming, they're starting to destroy things while the church is trying to keep things not from being destroyed. So it's kind of reversed now. But uh, Paul said he's the ambassador, and he goes, he goes, I open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And this is interesting. The mystery of the gospel is, is used in many places in the scriptures. And I got a whole long list. We're not going to go through all of them. But we do want to look at what, what is the mystery of the gospel. So we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 okay. Timothy 3, and we're going to start at 14. These things write I unto you, hoping to come unto you shortly. But if I tarry long, you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Okay, so here's, he's going to define what the, the, the mystery is. That God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received into glory. So here's the mystery of the gospel. The first one is 
He came in the flesh. Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among you. So Jesus came, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit. By the Spirit he was kept perfect. Seen of angels. Can you imagine the angels seeing the Son of God, seeing God Almighty in the flesh, going through everything he had to go through? Their job was to, to give him praise, to give him glory, to give him honor, to protect, you know, to help protect. Here he was becoming flesh. Herod tried to kill him as a toddler. And God took him out of Israel, put him into Egypt to protect him. Satan came to him and tempted him in the desert after 40 days of fasting. And if you've ever done a 40-day fast or even done any length of fast, you're not very strong after 40 days of fasting. 40 days is about as long as a human body can stay alive without food. So when he was at his weakest, Satan came and the angels were, were basically told, stay, you know, stay back, you can't help him on this. He went to the cross and received a beating and was nailed to the cross. I can picture the angels just, you know, in their ranks going, okay, Father, what are you going to tell us to go rescue him? You know, this can't be happening. The angels saw this and marveled at all that was going on. Preached to the Gentiles. The Jews were supposed to give the good news out to, to the world and didn't do it. They kept it to themselves. The great mystery was that God wanted the Gentiles to be able to come to him. Now we see Gentiles come to, come to God throughout the Old Testament and, and I know that we're not given every single one, we're just given key ones. People like Rahab and Ruth and you know, a number of these, these individuals. There were, there were many more than that. History tells us of many more. But that God would preach to the Gentiles and bring them into his family that is something that the Jews just can't believe, they can't understand. Believed on in the world, and we're seeing that he's being believed on in the world, and that he was received into glory. His resurrection and his translation into heaven at the end of the 40 days that he walked with the disciples. And then he was taken into heaven. This is the mystery of the gospel. This is the mystery that God had from the beginning of the world to when it started to be revealed in, in their day and still being revealed to this day. And there's all kinds of places where God talks about the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. And uh, when you've come across it, just remember that it's in 1 Timothy 3, 16 is the, is the mystery. All right, the mystery. The mystery that Gentiles would be accepted into God's kingdom. That Jesus, that God would come into the flesh. The promise is all through the Old Testament. We see the promise that he's going to do it. Not real clear, but it's there. And then we see it. In the fullness of time, God became a man to pay the price of sin. And he came at probably the most perfect time of any time in the world to come for the world to be evangelized. There were other great kingdoms, but Rome actually built roads to make it easy to get from, from all the places. They literally had access to all the known world at that time. 
They had all of Europe that belonged to them, all the way you know, up and toward the bottom of the Scandinavian countries, and had ambassadors up into the Scandinavian countries. They had ambassadors into the Britons. They owned the southern half of, you know, which was now England, you know, at one point in time. They were all the way out to Italy, uh, uh, India. You know, they were everywhere. The whole world would be able to know about them. They knew of China and had embassies going back and forth to China. They just couldn't conquer China because of those great big mountains that were in the way. You couldn't get very many people in there, so they, they could not go and fight them. The Sierra Desert kept them out of most of southern Africa, but they made it. They sent ships and envoys to, to all of those places. They were known around the world. Probably the only place they didn't really have any presence was here in North and South America. And even that's questionable because we find all kinds of evidence that they were here. It's amazing how many people found North and, North and South America before, before Leif Erikson and, and Columbus did. Every, every group was here in, in, this, in this new world. They just never settled it. Uh, but the, the mystery of God, the mystery of the gospel, Gentiles being part of the family, Jesus in the flesh, dying, being resurrected, being received back into glory, all of that is important. He came in the flesh, he lived that perfect life, he died on the cross for our sins, he was resurrected, and he was taken back into heaven beautiful picture that was all through the Old Testament. It's not, not that it wasn't there, it just wasn't in any one place for us to pick, you know, grab hold of the picture. There's certain places that are more uh, obvious than others, like Isaiah 53, which shows him dying on the cross. Uh, and David talks about his resurrection in the Psalms, and he talks about his birth. All of this that was on there, that God was going to be there. Uh, Romans 16.25 talks about the mystery that was a secret since the foundation of the earth. Okay? So this, this mystery was not something that God all of a sudden just dreamed up. Well, I think I'm going to send my son down to die. He knew what he was going to do before the foundations of the earth, before, before everything started. He knew what he was going to do. And that's why I say it's amazing that he made man, knowing that man was going to sin, and knowing the cost that it was going to make. And they had already, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had already made the plan before anything was created. We're going to create these people. They're going to sin. And Son, I'd like you to, to pay the price to redeem them. And Jesus agreed. Before the foundation of the earth, he agreed to be the sacrifice. That's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine to me. Uh, Colossians, uh, Colossians 1.23, uh, 26 and 27 says the same same thing about this plan being being around for for from the beginning. Uh, that one I actually want to go ahead and read. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of God glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this expands upon the mystery. It's Christ in us. Do you realize the power of that statement? Christ in us. We have God, the God of the universe in us. 
David talked about it. Saul talked about it. In the Old Testament, it talks about the Spirit being on them. And in the New Testament, it talks about God being in us. I don't make a big distinction. I know some people make some huge distinction between the Old and New Covenant on that. I think it's more of a way that the Jews looked at it as opposed to the way the Greeks looked at it. That God came on you in the Hebrew idea, which meant that you were, you were in him. Uh, and in the Greek mentality, it's, you know, that he is in us because he's unseen. But it, when you read the scriptures, they both talk about really the same thing. God is in control. And he is the one that I am becoming like. So I don't make this great distinction, and I know lots of pastors, and I've heard the, I've heard the sermons about how it was so different in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came on you, you know, as opposed to in you, and I, and I think it's a different, I really think it's a difference between a Hebrew and Greek thought pattern. Uh, I don't think there was any difference in the way God dealt with his people, because when you look at David, David had God <laughs> controlling him. Whether you want to say he was on him and, and, and took over control you know, as a puppet, or if he was in him, I think he was in David just as much as he was in us. I think he was in many of the prophets as he is in us. Uh, and and it just that they use the term on, you know, as, as opposed to they put on a garment. And Paul says the same thing about us. We're to put on Christ, which means that we're in him, which is the Jewish mentality of, of that. And I think he so in, in, imbues himself in us that there is no difference between us and him anyway once we're saved. And this goes back to our idea of we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are submerged in the Holy Spirit. We're put in him. And then eventually he keeps coming inside us until he's in us completely and, and we're no longer who he started out as. So it's a big, big thing and it's all, it's all the same to me. <laughs> If I am in Christ, I'm going to become more like him as he takes over more and more of who I am. And if he wants to start from the inside, let him start from the inside and work his way. I don't care how you look at it. It's still the same, the same thing. And we're going to stop there because that's... I could give you a long list of verses about the mystery of God, but you can and, you look it up with a good concordance. The 316, yeah. I would challenge you, if you really want to do an interesting study, go through the Bible and, and read the 316s in the Bible. And it is quite an interesting thing how 3.16 turns out to be some powerful, a lot of powerful verses in, in the 3.16s in the Bible. Uh, like I said, I've had a pastor that did a study on the 3.16s of the Bible. And he didn't go through every, every book, because not every one of them has something powerful in it, but a, a huge chunk of them do, especially in the New Testament. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. We ask that you go with us and teach us how to be in you and let you, let us work, let you work out of us more and more in everything we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.